open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Projects that take us out of our typical day-to-day work environment can be extremely rewarding. Taking an active role in philanthropic efforts can introduce us to new populations with unique needs and provide us with a fresh perspective. My guest today is someone whose work I greatly admire. Dr. Audrey Tally Rostov is a cornea, cataract, and refractive surgeon who is also heavily involved with SightLife, a global health organization with a mission to cure corneal blindness worldwide. Audrey took time to talk to me about her experience traveling to India to work in an area with an overwhelming need for cornea care. She also talks about spending time as a child with her grandfather at his dermatology practice and the strategic early choices that helped ensure she would end up right where she wanted, coming up on Off the Grid. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. Welcome back to another very special edition of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz, and tonight we are talking to the one and only Dr. Audrey Tally Rostov. Audrey and I have known each other for quite a while. Uh, I think we've kind of known each other digitally or virtually for a longer period of time and have recently become acquainted um, through some projects and through some groups we both participated in. And um, Audrey is someone who I have just tremendously respected through the years for her body of work, both surgically and, um, and philanthropically, also um, with her efforts in teaching. And so I think if there's an archetype of someone that we might all want to look up to and, and model our lives a little bit after. I think Audrey kind of uh, represents a lot of those things. And she's been kind enough to come on tonight and uh, give us a little bit of an inside look into what makes her tick. So Audrey, um, I hope that hasn't embarrassed you. All those things are very true, but thank you for carving out a little bit of time to, to spend talking with us tonight. Great. Thanks, Gary. You're too kind. Well, no, I think, I think that um, if anyone knows you, I think that all the things that you do uh, kind of amaze um, all of us, the fact that you're able to kind of keep um, a really healthy work life um, and a family life and a life that allows you to uh, be active and engaged in projects that are that are you know really important to you. So before we dig into all that, I, I'd really like to just kind of hear a little bit of your backstory of what drew you to ophthalmology, what drew you to medicine in general. Um, most most ophthalmologists I met have uh, some event or something that uh, kind of steered them in that direction. So I, I would love to hear what it was for you. Sure. Well, growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and my maternal grandfather was a dermatologist, uh, kind of a dermatologist slash family doctor, practiced out of his house, and I spent a lot of time basically in the waiting room and and uh, conversing with patients and uh you know, having my stuffed animals come in for different, uh, various and sundry, you know, maladies and and things. And so he was a a big uh, factor, I'd say, in my life. It was interesting. This was way, way back in the day. My grandfather had actually uh, was French and and got his uh, medical degree at the Sorbonne. And I still have his medical textbooks, uh, which are in my office, and there are a lot of them are in French. And when he got his degree in dermatology, it was in, before antibiotics. And so it was in dermatology and syphilology. 
Wow. And yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so basically they treated things with heavy metals and, and such, and uh, just fascinating to, you know, to look at how medicine has, has changed over, you know, the last, uh, uh, not quite century, but from the the early uh, 1930s, uh, you know, on onward. And so uh, I'd say that would be my my start in medicine, and was always uh, of interest to me even from a very young age. And then when I was in medical school, I actually ended up doing a uh, a bunch of different things occurred, but ended up doing a year research. Uh, fellowship in ophthalmology. And I was looking around, I, I had been working in a different lab and the funding changed. And so uh, I had a meeting with uh, some friends of mine and a friend of mine was telling me that he had another, uh, there was this fellowship that was becoming available. And so I ended up working in the lab and ended up working on um, a rabbit model of endophthalmitis of all things. And so, and that just really turned me on to ophthalmology. And I just basically fell in love with the field with how much you could make a difference in somebody's quality of life and the very delicate microsurgical techniques uh, combined with both um, outpatient medicine. And it just see, really felt like me to be a, a home there, uh, as well as, you know, being able to, to be innovative. And again, to me, it was really the, uh, the difference you could make in someone's quality of life. You know, that reminds me so much of my own story. And, you know, I've heard this time and time again, but ophthalmology is so special. Um, I, I guess we're sort of preaching to the choir. We all believe that. But honestly, it is a field that is really medicine in a, in a nutshell, because you do have all the patient interaction that you could want. Um, if you want to gear your practice that way, you have all the medical and rheumatologic conditions or infectious disease processes that um, need to be looked after. While at the same time, you have all the surgical and very, you know, insanely delicate microsurgery. And really, even within ophthalmology, one can gear their practice really all the way from peds to uh, geriatrics as well. And so it is so, sort of a, this microcosm um, that, that we find ourselves in. And I agree 100% helping someone's quality of life um, you know, I, I don't save too many lives um, as an ophthalmologist. Um, I did resuscitate a guy on a cruise ship one time. That's a whole other story. Um, that was kind of rewarding. But I love helping people see, and, and it really never gets old. So to walk me through. I know that um, at some point after residency, you did a fellowship with Dick Lindstrom. Is that correct? Do I have my facts right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was really... Um, very, very uh, honored and had the privilege to be able to train with Dick Lindstrom for my um, anterior segment, cornea and anterior segment fellowship, uh, which was really one of the, the highlights of my career. Um, he is such an amazing uh, man. It's like the man, the myth, the legend. Yes. Uh, he is uh, an incredible um, legend in ophthalmology, but what a, a wonderful mentor. And he was probably one of the most patient people I've ever met uh, with all of my during fellowship, millions of questions and, and spending the time, you know, taking the time with me. 
um, for training, and also learning from him in terms of the innovation cycle and learning that uh, really seeing him model both being an amazing clinician and surgeon, uh, taking the time to teach, and also having time for a, a lot of different projects with, with industry um, and such, as well as with philanthropy. Well, I, I think that that is something that it must be part of the culture at that fellowship because I have so many friends and colleagues and, and we, but we, that we share who have gone through that fellowship and every single one of them that I know has led this incredible professional life that does have those various facets of both the surgical, the innovation, uh, philanthropy. That must be something that just is infectious when you are around Dick and all the faculty at the Minnesota Eye Consultants. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't think of really a better place to, to train, to would have trained or to train and uh, to really experience um, all those different uh, facets of what can compose a, a really rewarding career. So I know at this point you're a partner at Northwest Eye Surgeons. Walk me through a little bit about your, if you don't mind, um, again, I'm just sort of uh, mm -hmm. being nosy, but I, I'm curious as well. But sure. tell me a little bit about your early journey uh, after fellowship, uh, getting into practice and to where you are at this point in your practice. Sure. Well, uh, after fellowship, I, I have a lot of family here in Seattle. And so there was a very, very big pull, uh, extremely uh, strong pull, I would say. <laughs> you were moving to Seattle one way or another, whether you wanted to or not. You were Seattle. Was exactly. Be, I got you. Okay. And so, um, and to, to come to Seattle and, and settle. And so when I was looking for jobs initially out here, you know, initially I was, um, I mean, I was a heat fellow. I was very, very involved with academics, had a lot of publications. Um, and, had some different experiences, uh, you know, well, the, the great experience with, with Dick during my fellowship was amazing, but also um, made me rethink a little bit uh, full-time academics. And so I decided to come out here to Seattle and to join um, an HMO for, uh, at first, um, mostly because I didn't want to be tied into a practice. I was looking to set up my own practice or to join an existing practice, but I was concerned about restrictive covenants. Right. So for a very brief time, I just joined a hospital-based practice that didn't have a restrictive covenant, so I could really take my time uh, and look around and, and see the lay of the land. That's, and so that's yeah. what I did. And I was there for about a year. The great thing was because it was a hospital-based practice and they didn't have a cornea surgeon there and they had kind of a small ophthalmology department, um, there was a ready-made practice for me to, to jump into. And so I had, you know, complex cornea cases and, you know, scleral IOLs. And I mean, I had all this complex stuff, which was great just starting out of the gate. And then I looked around and, and really had located a, a place where I thought I was going to to have a, an office and, and build a, a practice there. And at the same time, um, one of my colleagues in town, a friend and colleague said, hey, you know, the practice, his practice was looking for a cornea person. 
And essentially, I I joined that practice with the understanding that if it didn't work, that I would have this little office of mine, um, kind of south of Seattle. And, you know, a few years later, uh, there were some ups and downs there. But a few years later, I became a partner. uh, And then I became managing partner. And then we expanded the practice. And uh, here I am. (laughs) Wow. So So that's the origin uh, story. You actually sort of just wanted to take your time, kind of get your bearings in Seattle, figure out what the opportunities looked like and make a strategic move. Exactly. Exactly. I I knew I needed to be very strategic. And because I knew I needed to be in Seattle, I didn't want to join the wrong practice uh, and knew I needed to kind of buy some time in a sense to look around a little bit and see what that looked like, whether that was going to look like something that was my own or uh, joining an existing practice. But uh, I I really wanted to, again, be strategic, mostly because I knew that this was where I wanted to be. Uh, kind of like in real estate with the location, location, location. Um, I didn't want to to be fenced out of, of the place I knew that I, I wanted to remain. Yeah, that's funny. Um, your your whole uh, meteor, meteoric pull to Seattle uh, reminds me of my meteoric pull to Lexington. Uh, that's where my wife is from. Her entire family is from here. It's where I trained. And so um, I, it's funny. I, I don't think I've told anyone this, but I actually took my first job an hour away from Lexington so that I could do the exact same thing. I could actually have a job that I could commute to and wait and look for the right opportunity that presented itself in Lexington. So I actually took the very same tack that you took of, of sort of a, a part-time or a, a starter job with the of, uh, idea of looking for a more permanent job without the, the problems of restrictive covenant. So let's, let's, let's go on. I want to get in a little bit deeper with some of the things that you're really passionate about. Um, you've talked a, a little bit already about complex corneas. Uh, you had fantastic training uh, with, with Dr. Lindstrom. And I know that you are deeply involved with Sight Life. And I'd, li- I'd love to hear about how you got involved with Sight Life and also um, update us a little bit about what's going on with Sight Life right now. It seems like they're just making some you know, incredible strides and we want to, we want to, you know, focus on that a little bit. Sure. Well, um, getting involved with Sight Life, uh, Sight Life began as the Lions, Northwest Lions Eye Bank. And so since starting in cornea practice, I mean, they were my eye bank. And as you know, as a cornea surgeon, you're just basically uh, intricately involved with your, your local eye bank. And so that's how the relationship began. And then there was a series of events that I call kind of a happy accident in a way. It was about nine years ago, and I was actually invited to be a keynote speaker at a meeting in India. And I had never been to India before. And uh, there was actually two meetings, in fact. There was one in Ahmedabad, which is in Gujarat in the north, and then there was uh, another one in Mumbai. And so my husband and I thought, well, wow, this is just a great opportunity. And so what we did is we, I had planned to take the time off. I actually was able to manage three weeks off from practice, right, which never happens. Um, my, my husband was taking, it was close to three weeks off. We have three kids. They were little then. And so we found places, <laughs> appropriate childcare for our three children, which is nothing short of a miracle. And I had plane tickets and, and you know, we planned uh, things around the two meetings and some travel. And then a few weeks before the meeting was to occur, there were the tragic bombings, uh, oh, terrorist goodness. attacks yes. in 
in Mumbai, where uh, I believe it was the maybe the Taj Hotel and a, a Jewish community center, um, and just a horrible, horrible devastation. And uh, also a few weeks, I don't remember whether it was before or after there was, or within a couple of weeks, there were also bombings of several hospitals in Ahmedabad, uh, where healthcare workers were involved. And so uh, the meetings actually ended up being canceled. And this was, you know, a few weeks, maybe six weeks before we were supposed to go or less. Uh, the meetings are canceled. In the meantime, we had all of this infrastructure in place. And my husband uh, grew up in Brazil and we are fairly intrepid travelers. And we've taken our, our kids from young ages to more unusual destinations. And so we decided that, you know, why not? Let's go. It's probably never a safer time to go because everyone's on alert and that we would just avoid some of the more major cities. So we just restructured our trip and, and went to India. And before I went, I asked Sightlife, I said, you know, I have all this extra time now and I was supposed to be at these meetings and I had kind of heard that they were starting uh, a global project and affiliation in India. And I asked if I could add some value while I was there. And so they said, well, yeah, actually in Cochin, which is in uh, South India and in Kerala, there was a surgeon there who was the only cornea surgeon for, I don't remember how many millions of people, and that she wanted, she wanted to learn some DSEC. And so um, basically, we arranged for me to go over there and to train her in DSEC. And I had some pre-cut corneas available and sent over some tissue and, and also used some of the tissue that they had available through their eye bank. And uh, when I got there, aside from just the um, you know, DSEC, just did some more complex PKs and PKs and IOLs. And I was just... Um, uh, amazed by the amount of pathology and the amount of need that there was just so much need. It was overwhelming, um, the need for cornea care. And so they had their, uh, worst, you know, cases of worst bilateral corneal blindness. And I remember there was specifically, there was this one older gentleman, a, a grandfather who was being led in by his grandson and his grandson's sole um, job in life was to lead around his grandfather who had bilateral corneal blindness. And uh, the man's daughter, the little grandson's mom, uh, had to cook for, you know, her dad and had to care for him. And so it was basically this whole community caring for this uh, older man who was a, a very important man in the community. And so I ended up doing a uh, cornea transplant and a cataract, you know, an IOL. And the next day, you know, he had ambulatory vision. When we took off the patch, he literally had ambulatory vision and realized that not only could we make a difference and, and give him his life back, but it was also his grandson and his daughter and really the community, and taking a look at, at what a difference you can make, not just for individuals, but for families and communities, and just how great the need is there uh, in terms of corneal blindness. Uh, it's one of the highest uh, prevalence of corneal blindness, actually, in, in the world, uh, is in India. And um, that just motivated me to figure out how I could become more involved and, and do more. And so I'd say that was the, 
uh, seminal event, if you will, that, that just made me realize, you know, how great the need is and that this was basically something that I, I wanted to d dedicate, uh, dedicate a lot of uh, time and energy uh, to helping. Right. You know, it reminds me of a story that um, Kevin Waltz, who I'm sure you're familiar with, told. Um, mm -hmm. He has done a lot in Honduras and El Salvador, and I've, done, I've worked on, I've worked with him on some research. And he said, you know, we think about cataract surgery, and, and the corollary is really the same for corneal blindness. But we think about cataract surgery is just helping the patient, you know, to see. Uh, he said, you know, the real, the real win is not just that the patient gets to see, but the grandchild who is, is taking care of um, the grandparent now is free to go to school and get an education. And the, and the um, daughter of the grandparent who is trying to make ends meet, um, you know, now can, um, is, is freed up to make more money and earn a living and uh, provide some extra protein in the diet for everyone. And it really becomes this um, bimodal distribution of, of effect where, it's not just the older patient with a cataract or corneal blindness that you're helping, but you're really helping um, free up resources for the next generation to better um, their story and their family. So it sounds like you're, you're experiencing that same thing with, with, with your story. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. It, so that moment, I would say, um, made me realize, as I said, just how great the need the need is there for treating corneal blindness and uh, with Sight Life, so that's that's what happened about nine years ago. And uh, since then, I've become a global medical director. Um, I am actively involved in surgeon training and curriculum development and uh, eye bank capacity building. And the thing that I really enjoy about Sight Life is that we really work on sustainability. And so it's training local surgeons in their local environments, in their uh, operating theaters, uh, their ORs, and with you know what they have available, um, but also making sure that there's all parts there, uh, that there's eye bank capacity building. And so there are local eye banks that can um, get local tissue through eye donation counselors, you know, in hospital donation counselors to improve the amount of uh, tissue that's available, and then to have standardized protocols for screening of tissue, um, evaluation of tissue, processing of tissue, um, actually helped with um, the having some pre-cut tissue over the last several years, uh, Ramayana Eye Bank at LD Prasad uh, was the first in, um, in India to offer pre-cut desect tissue. Wow. And uh, yeah, and to uh, really help with an, and IT infrastructure. And so really helping with the whole cornea ecosystem. And so it's not just uh, the type of group that where you go and you do a bunch of surgery and you leave and then you leave all the problems uh, that you sometimes created. Um, but it's really working on, um, you know, the, the, entire, uh, uh, the entire cornea ecosystem. And 
I think that that's one of the the things that's so important when you're you're thinking about global health is to think about all the different uh, parts, uh, the different components, because you can't just do one without, you know, especially in cornea care, uh, if a surgeon doesn't have access to corneal tissue, then it's silly to train that person in corneal surgery if they're never going to do it. Right. No, that's exactly right. The infrastructure becomes almost even more important than just the skill because the skill is is the tip of the spear. You know, that's the last thing that that needs to be there, and perhaps almost the easiest to train. Uh, all the other, all the other tackling and blocking that needs to occur, um, that does really uh, require a lot of people thinking and strategizing. So, congrats on all your work with SightLife. Um, another group that I know that you're very active in, actually, I just saw a, a tweet that you uh, put out, I think yesterday or the day before with Michael Onischek. Um, that is OWL, Ophthalmic World Leaders. So tell me a little bit about your role in OWL and what that group has meant to you over the years. Sure. Yeah, OWL is an amazing group. Um, it is a group of really, really dynamic people. Uh, the group uh, Ophthalmic World Leaders, it started out as Ophthalmic Women Leaders. And, and, and then Bill Trattler showed up at, at a meeting, right? And so you had to figure and out. And then how- we had to, yeah, we just had to figure it all out. It just <laughs> just changed it up. Uh, and so we actually it started out as um, ophthalmic women leaders. And a few years back, Marsha Link, actually, uh, Jackie Lindstrom and, and then Marsha Link uh, convinced me to, to join the group. And I didn't really know very much about it. At first, it was mostly, you know, I thought it was m- more for industry people. Uh, and I joined and I realized that there was just this really, really dynamic group of individuals um, and the sharing in terms of different you know issues whether it was a practice management issue or ideas for innovation with industry uh, I realized that there's really such a, a nice amount of um, a reaching a truly reaching across ophthalmology and it's a very, very interesting group that there's really um, no other group, I'd say, in ophthalmology like it because it brings together people from practice management, surgeons, uh, as well as um, leaders in industry. And the uh, amount of interactions um, and network expansion and opportunities are incredible. I mean, I am sure that uh, if it hadn't been for OWL, I wouldn't have, you know, Mike Onischek, president of Alcon, uh, there in my OR with me to learn more. He wanted to, he had, uh, we had met at a meeting and, and one of our OWL board meetings. And he said, you know, I, I really want to learn more about the cornea space. Can I come up and just spend some time with you and your, your OR? And so we picked a date and that was just the other day. And he came up and we had such a great discussion about, how we can lead some different innovations that'll ultimately serve our patients. And uh, I'm sure that if it hadn't been for OWL, the two of us wouldn't have had the opportunity to have that um, interaction and and what's become a a great friendship. Um, Another person, uh, there's many, many other people that I've I've had the, the pleasure and privilege to get to know through OWL. Um, all different uh, leaders in, in industry and, and practice management um, that have helped me when, say, I've had a, an issue, an employee issue, and yet I was able to reach out to 
a colleague who had, say, a, a global sales force of about 600 people or 800 people and ask how they, you know, manage some some different practice management issues that, that come up, employee issues, and then put that to work in my own practice. And so that sort of, connect, those sorts of connections are really invaluable. And it's such a nice place to be where there's not the same sort of feeling of competition, you know, of different industries against each other. It's really uh, much more collaborative and, and almost like a, a safe, you know, a safe space, if you will. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you, I've had the opportunity to have a, a few meetings with Michael Onischek, a dinner, et cetera. And, um, you know, we, I guess we shouldn't have favorites, but he's one of just the most incredible guys. And um, it's always exciting when you have people in industry who are willing to come and spend some time learning and uh, collaborating. And um, man, if, if Owl did nothing else for you than just that, um, and I know they've done a lot more, um, how wonderful of an opportunity I'm sure that was to have. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've been um, sort of a, a bystander in OWL. I've, I've tried to support as best I could and have tried to come to uh, some of the meetings, but um, I would actually like to get a little bit more involved. It's just the, like you've mentioned, I, th- I think sort of in so many words, the quality of the people that are involved in OWL. Um, I don't know that I've ever found a higher caliber of, of, of people, and that is across you know, depending, doesn't matter if you're a physician or an industry or in, in any of the fields, um, I found the quality and caliber of the people in OWL to be outstanding. And, and that's, I think, one of the, one of the secrets of life. Um, if, if I have a secret, it's nothing that I've done. I've just found good people to surround myself with. And for some reason, the goodness just rubs off. Um, and so I've been very blessed and lucky to have good people that I've been able to surround myself with. Audrey, I want to, I want to before we wrap this up, um, while I have you here, I feel like this is such a, a cool opportunity to talk to a surgeon that I respect so deeply. I want to talk a little bit about your cataract practice. That's sort of my um, area of deep interest and and some an area that I think we probably have a lot of overlap. I'd love to hear a little bit about your current cataract practice and maybe just get a, a little bit of a flavor for what things are exciting about about cataract surgery to you right now, whether that's laser technology or lenses, et cetera. Um, what, what is exciting you right now? And where do you think the future um, is going with maybe refractive cataract surgery? Well, I think it's really, really exciting right now. Um, as both a trained, you know, cornea cataract and refractive surgeon, um, refractive cataract surgery is, I mean, cataract surgery is a refractive procedure, Absolutely. you know, period. It just is. And we actually, a couple of years ago, we actually moved to having an all femto platform. So we basically offer femtosecond laser-assisted cataract surgery. We offer that to every single patient, um, and we don't charge for it. Uh, so, because what I was finding is um, some of the patients who I felt needed the femto cataract surgery the most uh, could afford it the least. And these are your, you know, your four plus brunescent right. cataracts with some loose zonules or the, you know, the white intumescent cataract where you go, whoa, you know, that capsulotomy is going to be, you know, a challenge there, right? Um, much as I love South America, that Argentinian flag sign is, is sort of not a, not a favorite. But 
and so we started offering it basically um, for no charge. So we don't charge for the femto cataract surgery. We do charge for vision correction packages. And so we have a vision correction one and vision correction two, kind of a, a driving or reading uh, vision package, uh, and then a package that would include, say, your multifocal or EDOF lens, right. uh, which would be your, you know, range of vision package. Uh, and by doing a large percentage of vision correction, it really allows me to offer the femto for for everybody. Um, I probably do about eighty percent of my cataract surgery is what I would call vision correction, and so I'm putting in you know a multifocal or a toric or a toric multifocal or EDOF or or something of that nature. Um, or it's a previous transplant patient where I'm doing corneal relaxing incisions in their graft at the same time as their cataract surgery or, you know, some, uh, something like that. Um, but I think it's, it's a really exciting time. I love doing all femto cataracts. Um, it's uh, a lot of fun. I really like being able to offer my patients uh, the ability to improve their vision uh, to where they want it optimized. Uh, and, um, a lot of the new IOLs, I'm super excited about the, um, adjustable IOL that's, that's coming down the line. Uh, also in the, uh, innovation in terms of, uh, the, you know, fluid, uh, accommodating IOLs and, and, you know, each, you know, every few years, there's just more and more offerings. And I think it just makes it, uh, that much more fun. I totally agree. It's so nice when you get a, an additional tool in our belt and it's fun to see how smart and innovative people will use that to either drive outcomes in a way we didn't even expect or piggyback and make one innovation turn into uh, a whole you know line of other innovations. So, well, Audrey, thank you so much for spending some time with me tonight, um, sharing a little bit about your story, about um, how you've gotten involved um, as an advocate, both for corneal training and infrastructure and, and through Sight Life and also through uh, OWL and just all that you do for your patients in Seattle and all you do for our industry uh, wherever you go. So with that, uh, thank you so much for being a guest tonight. Well, thank you, Gary. It was a pleasure to, to have some time just to sit down and talk to you. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you at a meeting you in the near future. There's so much to learn from the example set by Audrey. When you're just starting out in your career, it's worth it to take your time, get your bearings, and when the time is right, make your move. Whether your goal is to join an existing practice or to start your own, having a strategy can help ensure that you end up at the right practice in the right location. In addition, there's great personal reward in pursuing passion projects. Becoming active in work that is meaningful to you is a great way to round out your career experience. When you choose to use your skills to serve a population in need, your efforts can have a ripple effect. Helping one person can, in turn, help an entire family or even an entire community. With that, thanks for listening to Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.